Well, there's no doubt about it. There are storms all around us. How do we keep our peace and even joy in the midst of the storms? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Well, I hope you're ready to be encouraged. I hope you're ready to be strengthened in your faith. Welcome to the line of fire. This is Michael Brown. My absolute delight to be with you. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on radio or podcast or on our live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Or if you're watching in some other means or listening, some other means, welcome to the broadcast. Again, phone lines are open. It's, it's not Friday. Yeah, Friday, you've got questions, we've got answers, but we do it whenever possible. So I'm going to be opening the phone lines wide today. A bunch of things I want to talk to you about, share with you as well. But any question of any kind, if you differ with me, if you want to challenge me on something, if you need clarification, 866-348-7884. That remains the number to call. All right. As I was praying and thinking last night about today's broadcast, it it struck me that it would be important to bring a word of encouragement to all of you in the midst of the storms of life. As long as human beings have been on this planet, there have been storms of life. There have been natural storms and there have been spiritual storms. And sometimes the storms are pretty intense. And, And, you know, sometimes they're so intense that even if you, you, you think, you hope, you, you, I, we can barely, we can make it through. It's so intense in the midst of it, it can be very, very difficult. How can we walk in peace in the midst of storms? Now, let me start with a principle. Jesus tells his disciples in John's gospel, the 14th chapter, that he gives us his peace. Do you understand the significance of that? The peace that he gives us is a supernatural peace. It's his own peace. It's as if he takes our hand and suddenly what he's feeling, we're feeling. I mean, it's an extraordinary thing to consider. Now, step back and ask yourself about Jesus, about Yeshua, our Savior and our Messiah. Was there any time where when he was on this earth or as he sits and thrown next to his father in heaven. Is there any time that he is worried? Is it, oh, no, what's going to happen? Is there any time when he is full of fear and anxiety? Obviously not. He's the son of God. Obviously not. Can we say that he enjoys perfect peace? Yes. He is grieved over sin. He's grieved over his creation being hurt and injured. He's grieved over deception and lies that pull people away from the light and the truth. He's grieved over human bloodshed and evil. And and he rejoices over good that happens and people getting set free and coming to know him. But is he ever fearful and anxious? Obviously not. So he gives us his peace. Now, how deep is that peace? So on the Sea of Galilee, when he's out with his disciples— a number of them experienced fishermen. 
when he's out with his disciples and there's a terrible storm and they think they're going to drown. And, and I've never been in a terrible storm in the Sea of Galilee, but I've been staying on the, on the seashore of the Sea of Galilee when the winds were gusting and, and the waves were churning. I thought, whoa, that would be pretty intense to be out there in the water. But in the midst of this, he's sleeping. Why? Because he knows that all is well. And I would say my understanding is that he saw earlier in the day exactly what was going to happen. He was quite aware a storm was coming. He was quite aware he was going to go to sleep. He was quite aware the disciples would panic. And he was quite aware he would rebuke the wind and the waves and they would be astonished and he would rebuke them for their lack of faith. But here's the thing. He was never worried. He was never anxious. He had no reason to be. Why? Well, he knew the end from the beginning. He knew the outcome was going to be totally fine. He, in fact, he knew the outcome would be to the glory of God and that hundreds of millions or billions of people would read about it, learn about it in the future, that very account. So let's say that you are in a severe trial of your faith. It, it looks like you're going to lose your business. You're going to lose your home. It, it, the impact could be so great. You're afraid it could sever your marriage because the two of you you and your spouse have been under such pressure that the relationship is feels fragile. And you, you're, you're thinking uh, we're going to go down and I don't know that I'm ever going to get back out from under this. And suddenly the Lord brings a picture to your mind and it is you with your wife and your kids living in a beautiful home in a beautiful neighborhood. And it looks to be like 10, 15 years down the line and there are big smiles on people's faces and a sense of, of the presence of the Lord there. And you knew God was saying, hey, you're going to make it. Oh, this, this current thing may crash and burn, but you're, you're going to come out of it even better. Your family's going to be stronger and, and you're going to be blessed materially as well. If you got that future picture, suddenly a lot of that current fear and anxiety would disappear, would it not? So God knows the future. God knows the end from the beginning. Maybe there's something going on in your life and you're being severely tempted. You know, God's called you to minister and do his work, but you're being severely tempted and battered. And you think, man, I'm, I'm going to blow it. I'm going to, I'm going to disqualify my life. I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to destroy everything. And I'm going to bring reproach to the name of the Lord. I don't feel I'm strong enough to resist. And the Lord gives you a picture. And there you are in the mission field, preaching the gospel five, 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line. And people are being saved. And you just get a mental picture of that. It's like, oh, God's going to keep me. God's going to help me. Whatever's going on now, God's going to give me a way of escape. And I'm going to come out strong because I see I'm stronger then than I am now. You, you see, friends, when God speaks to your soul all as well, he knows what he's doing. It, it's not just me being optimistic. Hey, everything's going to come out all right. As you're going in for surgery, the doctors say there's one in a hundred chance you're going to make it like, hey, uh, you know, it's going to be all right. No, it's not just human optimism or cheerleading. It's, it's God saying, yeah, you're going to come out just fine. You're going to be the one out of the hundred. You're going to come out just fine. Or it's God telling you, it may look dark for a little while, but trust me, there, there's going to be so much light on the other end of the tunnel. You'll be glad you went through the tunnel. If you had to do it over, although you hate it going through the tunnel, you know it was in your best interest to go through it. Just like doing a workout. Come on, how many of you have done a workout and when you are either pushing yourself hard enough or you've got a trainer pushing you, right? It's, it's, it's not fun. And in the natural, you'd want to quit. But 
first, either you're pushing yourself or you're pushing with a group or you got your trainer pushing you. So you really can't just quit without being a wimp. But you also know that afterwards, you're going to be glad you did it. And afterwards, you're going to be stronger and you're going to be sharper and you're going to be healthier because you did it. So what we need to know and understand is that if our lives are yielded to the Lord, if you know, okay, Father, I'm not perfect, but I really want to serve you. I, I was talking to the Lord last night and God, if anyone knows, I'm infinitely far from perfect. It's God. All right. And, and for all of us, but I put myself at the top of the list and I was, but I was saying, God, you know, I want you more than anything. You know, deep down more than anything. I want you. I want to please you. If, if that's your heart, Really, to the core of your being, you, you know, Lord, I love you and I want to serve you. What does it say in Romans 8, 28? That all things, or in all things, that they either translate two different texts, in all, uh, all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose, or in all things, God works for the good. Same overall meaning. Things themselves may be evil. Things themselves may be bad. Things themselves may be ugly. But in all those things, God is working for the good of those who love him. Do you love him? God, can you say from your heart, God, I do love you. You know, I do love you. But what does he say? It's not based on our works. It's based on his goodness. All things work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And that means that if your heart's set on him and difficult circumstances come and hard times come, if you'll honor him and worship him, you will grow more. You will become more like Jesus. You will be stronger in your faith. You will be more able to serve others. I, I was thinking of some things that I went through in years past, and they were really self-imposed. In other words, wrong decisions I made, wrong choices I made, and there's nobody to blame but me. And, and I wish I didn't make certain choices or decisions or say certain things because they, they brought pain on me and others. Thinking back, you know, over the course of 47 years in the Lord, these things are going to happen. And, and yet what came out of it, a certain breaking, a certain humbling, a certain refining, a, a certain uh, 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 thinking far less of myself than I might have before and recognizing to the degree that any good thing that comes out of me is all his grace, all his glory, all his honor. I, I hate those things that I went through especially because they were self-imposed, wrong choices, wrong words, wrong decisions. But I'm, I'm glad I am where I am today. In other words, I, I would have rather gotten here without that path, but I don't know that I would have. In other words, the breaking, the humbling, the different things that God did produce fruit. He's a redeemer. So even if you've blown it and you've made wrong choices because of which your health is shattered, because of which your ministry is hurt, because of which you've lost your finances, because of which your kids are in rebellion, because of which your marriage is under attack. If you humble yourself before God and, and say, God, I've blown it, but you're a redeemer. Take what I've done wrong and turn it around for, for good. May the things that were stumbling blocks become stepping stones. May the failures become lessons for future growth. So here's how you maintain peace in the midst of the storm. You first, you, you cry out to God earnestly, as crazy as things are around you. God, you're my rock. You're my strength. You're my refuge. Make yourself real to me. He can, right then in the midst of it, just let you know, I'm with you. And then second, he gives you that word of assurance. 
He's going to work it for the good. He gives you that word of assurance. He has the power to do that so that you can get up with Paul on a boat about to shipwreck, Acts 27, and say, don't be afraid. Everybody's going to make it. That's what the Lord told me, and I, I believe. I believe God. And you start to exercise your faith, and you start to praise him, and you start to worship him. It'll seem crazy and counterintuitive, but you do it anyway. Lord, I praise you. You're faithful. I praise you. You're good. I praise you. You turn everything for good. I praise you that everything Satan means for evil, the world means for evil, even I mean for evil, Lord. As I submit my life to you in repentance and humility, you turn these things around for good. He's a redeemer. May he speak peace to you in the midst of your storm. We come back, we're going straight to the phones. Now's a great time to call with your questions, 866-348-7884. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome, friends, to the Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. Phone lines are open. Listen, tomorrow, very important interview. Catholic scholar E. Michael Jones. He has been called an anti-Semite by different Jewish leaders. I agree his writings and positions are anti-Semitic. We asked him to come on the air to have a discussion with me where he can explain why he believes that's a wrong accusation. And we had a very candid conversation. We recorded it last week. You'll get to see it and hear it on tomorrow's broadcast. Trust me, this is one thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast you do not want to miss. I so appreciate Dr. Jones being willing to come on and have a candid conversation with me. He was all too glad to do it. 866 Three for truth. Let's go to Joe in Chicago. Welcome to the line of fire. Man of God, how are you doing, Dr. Brown? Doing well. Need you to speak up, Joe. Okay. Uh, there we go. I am doing well. Okay, great. Hey, Dr. Brown, quick question about uh, Brother Chris Date's new book on predestination. You forwarded it. I'm sure you're familiar with it, correct? Yeah, it's a debate, a debate on predestination. Yep. Yeah, correct. Okay, so he was on the unbelievable show with Leighton Flowers. They had a back and forth, and he presented the case for uh, predestination for God to control meticulous details by looking to Joseph and his brothers. I know you're familiar with this argument, but the unique thing that he brought up was what he thought was a slam dunk, was the Hebrew, because the same word intention is used for the brothers, evil intent, as it is for God, and, and how could God intend good to come out of it if he didn't intend the evil because the grammar supports this do you buy into that because i get lost when people go to grammar thank you for your time yeah so i i appreciate that and first uh very much appreciate uh chris having a debate with a colleague about predestination i was asked to consider writing a forward to the book so i uh, they got the contents to me as early as possible I, I went through much of the book, the back and forth, and I thought, okay, I, I feel they're both doing a good job of presenting their opinions, and they're doing it in a way that's forceful, yet civil. They're not damning each other to hell over it. And, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm glad that I could do the, the forward for it. And I, just like when people ask me, Joe, about my views on predestination and election, 
I said, best thing is go online and watch a debate I did with Dr. White, Dr. James White. In other words, let lay out both sides and then let someone evaluate both sides as presented as best as we can and then let people sort it out. So I'm so glad Chris and his colleague did that. And I think it's a great book for people to go to to get the different perspectives. Uh, but let's let's just go over to to the, the book of Genesis. And I just got to clear my screen here. Uh, the book of Genesis so Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. Some of his brothers wanted to kill him. Others said, no, no, let's not. In the meantime, uh, he get, and that was the intent of one, you know, to rescue him. In the meantime, he gets sold into slavery. Rather than kill him, they sell him into slavery. But God has a plan through it, all right? And God's plan is that he's going to save many people through it. So um, the brothers come to him and they're, they're concerned. And uh, he says in it, you know, they said, look, you know, we're your servants. Now that dad's dead, please don't take vengeance on us. Right. And, and he says, so Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. First, I'll read it in New King James, then I'll, I'll look in the Hebrew. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Uh, so reading it in Hebrew. Right. So uh, I'll just read that loud. So you intended uh, evil against me. Elohim but God intended it for good. Sorry, my screen was covered there for a moment. Uh, so, yeah, the, the, the Hebrew is just like the English. You intended it for evil against me or disaster against me. God intended it for good. Honestly, I'd have to hear Chris's argument. I know he's a thoughtful guy. But I, I don't see anything whatsoever in Hebrew that would make any slam dunk point of any kind. You had one intention. God had another intention. So, so here's the deal. Did God— Can I clarify it? Can I clarify his argument? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay, so, so his, his uh, linchpin point is that the it is the same. So when we change the intention for good, for God, we're now changing the grammar because— it would, according to him, God intended the evil just as much as the brothers did, but then he brought about good from it. But the it is the same. So God said, I want evil to be done. Brothers, go and do it. That, his, his point is meticulous determinism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I appreciate it. And thank you, thank you for clarifying that, right? So the, the kashava, the, uh, the, the ah at the end, what's that referring to? The it, yeah, that's referring back to ra'ah the evil or the disaster. Now, now here's the thing. What, what, uh, in talking about intent, what's the plan for this? All right. What's the, what's the goal for this? What do you want to get out of this? All right. So very simple. God sees what these men are going to do. He knows their hearts, right? And, and God is so sovereign and brilliant that he's a trillion steps ahead of all of us all the time. Right. It's not like just a brilliant chess player that can predict. He, he can predict from the beginning of time to the end uh, based on knowing human behavior and nature, etc. even if he didn't get directly involved, of course he does. So he knows what the brother's going to do. They have one plan for it. He has another plan for it. That's, that's all the Hebrews say. Your plan in doing this was one thing, my plan in you doing it. It doesn't say God did it, all right? When you, when you did this, this was your plan. When you were doing it, this was my plan. So the grammatical object is the same this, okay? Your intent was this. My intent was that. 
I let you do it because I had another plan. I let you do it. No, I don't believe God moved on the brothers that they were like, Joseph, our buddy, we're so glad to see. And he says, nope, nope, that's not what you're going to do. Instead, I'm going to turn your heart and now you're going to throw him into a pit and you're going to, you're going to sell him to the, to the Midianites, to the Ishmaelites. And that's what you're going to, no, no, of, of course not. So that to me is reading something into the Hebrew way beyond it. What was your intent in doing it? What was God's intent in you doing it? It doesn't say God did it. It doesn't say God planned it, but rather God's intent in this act. Who carried out the act? The brothers. The brothers carried it out. And especially the, the Hebrew word ra'ah fundamentally means something bad. When God does it, it's judgment. When human beings do it, it's evil. You know, it's, it's different sides of the same coin because God does not do evil. Uh, but either way, you had a plan, but God had a bigger plan. So he let you do X, Y, Z. It's like someone else. Yeah, he let you go out and get drunk and he let you crack your car up and he let you break both of your legs so that you ended up not going into the NFL. But he had a greater plan. Did God make you drunk? No. Did he crack up your car? No. But he's a sovereign redeemer. And what people mean for evil, God uses for good. That's the testimony of the whole scripture. What people mean for evil, God uses for good. At certain times, he will specifically intervene like Pharaoh who hardens his heart over and over, and then God says, fine, I'm going to give you over to your sin and your stubbornness and rebellion, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to harden your heart even more. So he can do that. But the general pattern is we do what we do, and then he works in the midst of it to carry out his will because he's sovereign. And if he needs to turn and manipulate something, he's God, he can do whatever he wants, but that's not his normal pattern. That's why he holds us responsible. If he manipulated everything in history, he couldn't rightly hold us responsible because we make choices and bear the consequences of those actions, he holds us responsible. But again, to emphasize once more, I find zero in the Hebrew, which is something I know pretty well, uh, to, to back up the point that Chris is making. With all, Hey, Chris, if you hear this, with all respect to you, buddy, I say it doesn't work. So there's your answer, sir. Thank you so much. Brought joy to my heart, because I didn't see it there, and uh, I thought it was a bit stretching the context, because then God becomes the author of evil, which in his book, he says God does it secondarily, not primarily. But if the gun shoots, it's because someone's pulling the trigger, and that's where Leighton was holding his feet to the fire on that as well. Thank you, sir. Yeah, you bet. And I'm thrilled the debate's being had and, and discussions are being had. And uh, that's all for the good. 866-34-TRUTH. Michelle in Virginia, welcome to the line of fire. Hello, how are you? Doing well, thank you. I'm so glad that I get to talk to you. Um, I've had a struggle for many, many, many years of of one test after the other. Mm. And um, I've been a Christian. I've been faithful through everything. Um, I When I became a born-again Christian uh, about, you know, uh, 20 years ago or something, um I came out of the Catholic Church. It took me 10 years to, you know, kind of override that, and 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 I became a born-again Christian. When I did, you know, instead of life getting better, one thing after the other happened. That was just, you know, out of my control, bad. And um, the first thing was my husband turned on me because he didn't like my faith, mm. and... um the second thing was um, I ended up losing my job because I was attacked by a man who um, sexually assaulted me and 
Um, I slapped him, and so I lost my 20-year career. Mm. Uh, I lost my house. Then I had uh, both of my cats die. Then I had a brain hemorrhage, um, and I was in excellent condition. And after the brain hemorrhage, um, I got addicted to the opiates. Then I became addicted to heroin, and I fought that for five years. Um, I had no way to get off the opiates or the heroin. I mean, I didn't have any insurance, any any um, buddy to help me. So, by the grace, hey, hey Michelle, just just pause right there. Yeah, you've been through it, and you're not done telling your story. We've got a break. We're going to come back and minister to Michelle. But, but would you lift up a prayer for her right now? We've got a short break, and if you can, just lift up a prayer. God's grace and Michelle and for words of wisdom and comfort for her. All right, stay right there, Michelle. We'll be right back with you. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends. Phone lines are open. Any question you'd like to ask today, phone lines are open, 866-34-TRUTH. All of our friends just joining us as you do daily from the DFW area on radio. So glad to have you along. We're talking right now with a caller from Virginia, Michelle. And uh, Michelle, you didn't uh, get to go through all of the, the hardships. You painted enough picture of what you've been through in all these years since you turned to to follow Jesus and you could read promises in the Bible and think, where are they? And where are the answers to prayer? Uh, As, as I was just reflecting for a moment, Michelle wanted to pray with you. This was the first thing that struck me, which is the only reason that you're alive today and have faith is because God has sustained you that everything you've, everything you've gone through so far has been intended to take you out and destroy Mm -hmm. you. If you're going to live that you would live hating God or denying God, otherwise that you would have died prematurely. The very fact that you're still alive and that you still have faith is a testimony to God's grace. I don't say that lightly. That's not just my Mm -hmm. standard trite answer and saying, I still believe God in the midst of this is a tremendous testimony. We know, yeah. we know, Michelle, ultimately, that your greatest dreams, the most amazing things you could ever ask for, are, are going to be far exceeded by being in God's direct presence forever and ever and ever. And mm-hmm. sometimes we see a lot of that in this world, and sometimes we see very little. You know, I've ministered over in India in some very poor communities, and they're, they're literally on the edge of starvation, and they're believers, and they just have enough for each day, and there's... They're probably going to have a rough life in this world. You know what I'm saying? It's they're probably going to be pretty yeah. poor and, and, and have a rough life in this world. And yet the joy of the Lord sustains them in the midst of it. And what I'd encourage you to do, and, and we're going to pray for you in a minute. Again, I don't say any of this tritely. I've, I worked for years in a commentary in the book of Job and just kept wrestling with things that God would sensitize my heart more to people who suffer and go through such mm-hmm. hardship because I, you know, whatever I've gone through in my life is a speck compared to what you've gone through. Uh, But Mm -hmm. what I want to encourage you to do is in the midst 
of wilderness difficulties and pain. Thank God that he's faithful. Each mm-hmm. trial you look at, instead of looking at the pain of it, look at how God got you through. I mean, you lost it. You lost a job of many years, but you haven't, mm-hmm. you haven't starved to death. You haven't, you're not living out on the street. You know, you, you've right. had, uh, all these things happen. You still have your, your sanity. So I, I would encourage you first to every day spend time thanking God that he's faithful, that he's never left you, that his promises are true, even though many promises you haven't experienced the reality of yet, that, and that he's made you a, a deeper, stronger person having gone through this. And mm-hmm. if, if, if you would recognize that he builds character through suffering, that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Paul, the apostle went through things. None of us can imagine, you know, beatings from city exactly. to city and floggings and stonings and shipwreck and ultimately being beheaded and so on. And it was, it was always, it was just wherever he went, that was his life. And he's the one who wrote that, that we have peace with God having been justified by faith. But then he talks about how we grow and it's through mm-hmm. trial and test and suffering. And then that brings a hope that nothing can take away. So I'd encourage Amen. you to say, you've been working in my life, Lord. You have, you have never left me. Otherwise I wouldn't have made it. You may be a tough, strong person, but not strong enough. And that, yeah. So I would thank him. I would daily spend time thanking him and praising him. Even if the, the more you do it, the darker it gets, because I'm telling you, he'll start to put joy in your heart and you'll start to see light shining in the darkness. And then you'll realize that he's given you an ability to help people who are also suffering and to yeah. put an arm around them and, and to be there for them. Mm-hmm. So is it all right if we pray for you now, Michelle? Is that okay? Oh, absolutely. All right. Father, I thank you for your daughter. She is your daughter and you've held on to her all this time. And Lord, I pray that you would flood our heart with peace and joy in the midst of storms, in the midst of difficulties, even with a sense of purpose and with a sense of destiny and with a recognition that she is more than a conqueror in you. And Father, bless her life with the riches of your presence and your goodness and your love. May she be flooded with a sense of joy. May she realize she hasn't failed, that she's held on to you as you have kept her. May her life be a testimony of the power of blessing in the midst of hardship and difficulty. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Michelle, thank you for opening your heart today. And what I spoke about at the very beginning of the broadcast, peace in the storm, may, may that be yours. And may you see some real sunshine in the days ahead. Th- thank you for opening up with us today. I appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Noah in North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Yes, sir. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Uh, hopefully I'm not opening another can of worms. I know you went back you did a big thing on about the pre-trib, post-trib, and I think you even got a book out. Yes, sir. On, uh, I haven't read it yet. Uh, of course, I don't. I need to read the Bible more, more than anything. Yeah. I'm going to read any book. But uh, long story short, I, I was raised on Dr. J. Vernon McGee, so that'll probably help you on where I'm coming from on all this uh, as far as my, you know, the, uh, I can always get them confused. But the pre-trib, post-trib, um, I know my, the, the viewpoint you come is, well, you know, there won't really be a rapture or it's kind of later on. But um, I never understood, you know, if people, the viewpoint you're coming from, if you believe that, as far as, you, will the Jewish people go through, like, they'll go through, everybody will go through all those 
those seven years, and I guess the final, when Jesus comes back to eliminate everyone, you know, put the devil down and all that, uh, we'll all go through that and that viewpoint you believe, or the, uh, maybe not you believe, you know, the, uh, is it the post-trib? I think yeah, so, so our, yeah, Noah, the first thing is, as you said, reading the Bible first and foremost is the most important. And we would all agree, pre- and post-trib, that we should live every day ready to meet the Lord, because we don't have a guarantee right. of, an, of another day. And that we should also know whatever comes our way in this world, God can keep us and protect us. So I understand there is one second coming. It's not two events separated by seven years, but one second coming. And that uh, as all hell is breaking loose on the earth, people speak of tribulation, great tribulation, that God's also moving powerfully in all the earth. Uh, Just like many countries now where persecution is the heaviest, the church is growing the most. So that all hell's going to break loose on the world, uh, the wrath of God is going to be poured out at the end on, on, on sinful men. God will protect us from his wrath. But like every other generation, we're promised trouble, difficulty. You know, our brothers and sisters being slaughtered daily in Nigeria or being persecuted and beaten in India. They're going through tribulation and testing right now. That's, that's our lot in this world. And at the end of this tribulation period, Jesus comes, there's one second coming, and he appears for the whole world to see. It's a public event, and we're caught up to meet him and escort him to the earth where he sets up his kingdom. So that's what I understand Scripture oh. teaches. Yes, sir. Okay, that's the, um, that's why I was, I mean, I can see from my viewpoint how people could be lightly, like, like you said, I realize our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, they're already going pretty much through a hell on earth, unfortunately, like you said, and I know, uh, I know you were saying one time how some of these people, I guess you feel like they're being misled in a way, like they're going to be, you know, get out of all their, but the thing for me, if I believe, I guess believe what y'all believe as far as us going through all that, I don't know if I can say it so lightly from what I know what's going to happen. Like you said, you know, what they, what the Babylonians did to the children of Israel when they bashed their heads, their children's heads against the rocks will be nothing compared to the hell that believers will go through in that time frame. And I guess it's easy to want to believe the other alternative, you know, like we all, you know, we get raptured out and we get freely out of all that type of, uh, yeah. I don't know, I so- guess if I... If I really believe what y'all was, I'd have to be. What you should, we should be all on our hands and knees anyway, begging everyone. But uh, yeah, well, yeah. So, but but here, here, Noah, here's the big thing: tribulation is nothing compared to hell. Tribulation is a fraction compared to hell. The vast majority of of the human race will not go through a great tribulation period at the end of the age. In other words, the the vast majority of the human race is going to come and go long before then, right? So the goal is not get saved to avoid the tribulation. If you're avoiding anything, it's hell. That's what we're avoiding. And, and get saved to repent of sin and come to know the one true God. But it's not get saved to avoid the great tribulation. No, that's never been the gospel. And the, that doesn't apply to anybody except those living right at the, the tail end of, of human history. Uh, and the other thing is, here, people have been burned alive. You're not going to get burned any hotter if the Antichrist does it. Or starved to death. Or buried alive. Or, or be tortured to death. Or have your children taken from you and killed. I mean, this is happening all the time and has happened around the world for centuries. Why should we think that we get exempt? Uh, America has been very unique and, and very little persecution, but the tide's rising of hostility and it could lead to bloodshed. We're going to honor the Lord either way. Hey, Noah, thank you for calling and being candid. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Donna in West Virginia. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Hello. Yeah. Um, my question is about 
um, receiving your prayer language. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've heard you speak before about the, the prayer language and speaking in tongues. That would be considered two different things, correct? Well, well no. When, when the Bible speaks about speaking in tongues, that's what others call our prayer language. The, the, the New Testament never uses the term prayer language, but Paul refers to praying in tongues in 1 Corinthians 14. No, I understand it as one and the same thing. On certain occasions, like Acts 2, God can uniquely inspire multiple human languages to be spoken. But what's, what Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 14 is a language that only God understands. But in either case, the question is re- receiving that, speaking in tongues, praying in the Spirit the first yeah, time. The, is that, yeah, the yeah. Actual, yeah, the actual question would be... Um, um, is it is it normal to receive your prayer language by being they lay your hand their hands on you and they pray for you? Um, they pray for up to four or five minutes and say, "Come on, it's in there, it's right there. Just open your mouth, uh, just start to babble." Um, I mean, is that normally how you receive your prayer language? Like, no, that's that's how some like, people do it. That's how some of us Pentecostals charismatics do it. You know, turn off your mind, just repeat this phrase. Now, that, that's, that's the flesh trying to get a spiritual result. People may mean well, but that's right. the flesh trying to get a spiritual result. Not praying over someone for several minutes, that's fine. But what I would say is this, Donna. Receiving the Spirit through the laying on of hands is absolutely biblical. I was just praying at a prayer meeting myself when the Holy Spirit moved on me. But what I would say is you ask God, in accordance with Luke eleven thirteen, that if you ask for the Holy Spirit, God will give it. He's already indwelling us, but you're asking for this manifestation of the Spirit. And then just begin to speak out of your heart from your innermost being. Begin to open your mouth in praise and worship. And as you do, and He moves on you, you'll find yourself praising Him and worshiping Him in a new language. So folks are trying to get you to do that, but they're doing it in a fleshly way. Hey, thanks. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, friends, as soon as you have a minute, please go over to my website, AskDrBrown.org. I wrote two articles last night. One, why we can't be silent. I wrote it with a burning heart, I believe it'll burn in your heart as you read it. Why we can't just sit back and be silent. We've got a presidential candidate who's aggressively preaching a false gospel, who is pushing back against Christians who hold to biblical values, who is, who is flaunting his same-sex relationship and saying you're wrong if you don't accept this, you're not Christian. Uh, I encourage you to read it, Why We Cannot Be Silent. And then another article, you'll, you'll be shaking your head as you read it, like, you got to be kidding me. YouTube approves the radical and disapproves the mundane. Uh, you'll, you won't believe, and I'm not complaining, by the way, uh, but you got to read the article. You won't believe, friends, that uh, we'll put out a pretty radical video, and I think YouTube, there's no way they're going to allow this to be monetized. This, they'll, they won't allow this for advertising. And we get a notice, yeah, it's been approved by manual review. Kidding me. And then the next day, Dr. Brown answers your questions. Yeah, not suitable. It's like, what in the world are you talking about? Uh, now, I'm not complaining. I'm just, you got to read it. You'll find out. And then a reminder that we're doing regular exclusive YouTube chats. Here's our next one. Tomorrow, uh, excuse me, on Friday, Friday after our, our regular Q&A broadcast, I'm going to stay on just a few minutes after four when we close Eastern Standard. 
I'm going to stay on and just answer questions from our YouTube viewers. So it's going to be Friday immediately after our broadcast. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Stephen in Delaware. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you, sir. Um, I just um, I wanted to uh, say that I uh, appreciate your content that you put out um, and the information. I just recently found you um, within the last week or two um, after you did the Owen uh, Benjamin. Uh, ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Comment- yeah. Um, I wanted to um, ask you something about my particular situation and uh, see if you uh, feel like I'm going in the right path um, with the decisions I've made. Um, so one of the things, so let me start from the beginning. So I was, uh, sexually molested, um, by an adult male when I was a child. Mm. And, um, how, how young, Stephen? I was eight. Okay. So sorry. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. So after that, um, you know, going through, you know, high school, you know, in my teenage years and whatnot, I was somewhat uh, confused with, you know, my my sexuality. And, um, you know, I knew I was raised as a Christian my entire life. We went to church every every Sunday, um, you know, Bible study every Wednesday. Um, So that was, you know, I know that that is something that, you know, is against uh, my faith and, uh, you know, what, you know, what says in the Bible. Um, So what I want to get to is that um, I went through pretty much most of my 20s under the identity of living as, you know, a gay male. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided, I, I would say within the last couple of years, I um, I started to build my relationship back with God and, and um, following uh, the life that Christ had for me. So I do acknowledge that that is you know, that is um, a sin against God, and that is not something that, you know, I should be involved with, and I denounce that. I've been celibate for the last four years. Um, I don't engage in any of, you know, the acts of regards mm-hmm. to it, yeah, um, yeah. nor do what I want to be in a relationship with the same sex. My question for you is, <clears throat> now that would you say that I have any further to go, or would you say that I'm I'm in the path of you know, in, in God's eyes of, of where I should be in terms of how I deal with that. Yeah, Stephen, first, let, let me commend you for not going with the whole tide of society today and the false gospel that you can practice homosexuality and follow Jesus at the same time. Let me first commend you for wanting God more and wanting him enough to say no to those things and yes to him, even though it's meant celibacy for you. So uh, I have other friends in similar situations to you, Stephen. They love the Lord. Their lives are very full. They're celibate uh, and they're, they're thrilled with their lives. They're, they're fulfilled lives and they're fruitful lives. Now the calling is to be holy and that's what you've sought to do. However, if in your heart you say, Lord, I, I would, I would love to be attracted to the opposite sex. That's something I would desire then that's something to pray about. And, and there are folks with good counseling, discipling experience that can help someone grow in that area. And so I've, I've got friends on all ends of the spectrum, Stephen. Uh, I have some that say, yeah, I, I'm, 
by nature, the way I feel, I mean, it's deep in me. I still feel attracted to the same sex, but I say no to it. I don't yield to it. I'm living a godly life and, and they're happy and they're celibate. I have other friends that over a period of time saw their same sex attractions deeply diminish until they were attracted to someone of the opposite sex that they married and they're, they're happily married. Uh, and then I know others that miraculously went from homosexual to heterosexual. Some folks close to men. I know what happened to them and they were, they've been happily married for, for many, many years. So all those different things can happen. What I would say is number one, you've honored the Lord and you're serving him. That's what he requires of you, right? That it's not yeah. up to you to beat down every, Oh, I had a wrong thought. I must be a bad person. No, because you love the Lord, you say no to those things. You don't pursue them. You don't get on the internet and pursue them or go out in a relationship to pursue them because you love the Lord. And that's what really matters to him. Uh, if, if you think, yeah, I, I want to find out more about this deeper change possible, then you could just uh, visit RestoredHopeNetwork.org. That's a, a D, RestoredHopeNetwork.org. You can interact with some of the folks there, read some of their stories and, and see what the Lord speaks to you. And uh, can I just make a deposit in your life and, and send you my book, Can You Be Gay and Christian? It'll really reinforce things for you and strengthen you. Can I do that? Absolutely. I greatly appreciate that, Dr. Brown. Awesome. All right. So, Stephen, stay right there, all right? And Howard is going to come on, get your info, and I want to send you my book, Can You Be Gay and Christian? And then when you have time, visit the Restored Hope Network and read testimonies of folks that have, that have found uh, other aspects of change in their own lives. God bless you, Stephen. You're on a wonderful path before the Lord. Be strengthened. All right. Nice to have Stephen's acquaintance. Okay. Uh, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Steve in Connecticut. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. Um, hey. Concerning, Christ concerning uh, Christian sanctification, it, it's God who works in you to will and to do his pleasure. And um, my, my question is, do you believe that God brings his, his believers to a place of sanctification that he has for them, you know, a, a place of perfection or completeness for each individual Christian before he brings them home? And, and I'm asking this in the context of, you know, we have believers that seem very, they seem barely changed when they leave this world. And some, of course, seem like they're way down the line in the Christian journey. So is there a point that God says, this is where I wanted you to be while you're here on the earth, and now I'm bringing you home? Yeah, and, and I understand the, the verse in Philippians 2 that's, that's causing you to think that, you know, that he's the one doing the work. So he is the one who takes the initiative, and he is the one that does the supernatural work in us, but he does it with our cooperation, and that's why many of Paul's letters, he's correcting issues. And that's why when he writes to the Corinthians, hey, I'm, not, I'm not happy with you here. I'm not pleased with this. I'm not pleased with that. And that's why Jesus gives parables about standing and giving account for our lives. That's why Paul talks about the judgment seat in Romans uh, 14 and in 2 Corinthians 5. So we make, we make choices uh, all, all the time. And many of those choices, Steve, are wrong choices. And... Paul's prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5, 3 is that we'd all be totally sanctified, spirit, soul, body, uh, but we will not be totally sanctified until we are resurrected and with the Lord forever. In other words, many of us will die far short of fulfilling God's 
highest purposes for us. That in many of our lives, even though we're saved and we know the Lord and our sins are forgiven, that we will, we will leave this world at different stages of immaturity or of different stages of maturity or of different stages of sanctification. So uh, every day I want to be more like Jesus. And I can honestly say there's some areas in my life where I really believe I'm more like Jesus today than when I got saved 47 years ago. And other areas I can say I was more like Jesus in this area, that area, some years back. So in other words, you're, we want to keep growing, but sometimes we take three steps forward, two steps backward. So every day, Lord, I want to grow. I want to be more like your son, work in me to conform me to the image of your son and take whatever steps you know to take. Because we, in this world, even the highest sanctification we could ever reach is still going to be imperfect, right? Until we're resurrected and out of this world, we won't reach perfect sanctification. So uh, regrettably, uh, many of us die only finishing part of our mission. Many of us die, uh, you know, let's say God had 10 assignments for us, we only get three of them done. Or his, his goal for us was to reach a, a level of Christ-likeness and Say on a scale of one to 10, we end up a three instead of a seven. Uh, but the good news is he's our father. He's not damning us to hell over falling short. But, you know, read what Paul writes in Philippians 3, because he's, he's, there's a goal he's going after. There's something he's running after. He's not there yet. He's not there yet. He wants to keep running, keep going after that goal. So that's my heart. God, there's more of me you want to have. There's more you want to do in me. There's more you want to do through me. So, Father, here I am. Send me, use me. Make me usable. All right, don't miss tomorrow's show. You don't want to miss my interview with Catholic scholar E. Michael Jones. Is he an anti-Semite or not? We have a candid conversation.